When I get up each morning to get ready to come to work, I enjoy flipping on the news, trying to watch what's happening in the world. I turn on the financial network news as well. And then when I come home in the evening, I've tried to record the news so I can watch it at my convenience, again, to see what was going on. If you've been following the news for the last couple of weeks, you'll know that I think every newscast that has come on for the last couple of weeks has led with the story about Ebola. Every single time. And I am sometimes concerned that the way that it is being reported has really had a way of helping to create a sense of almost panic and fear in our country. You know, it all started with a man in West Africa who was exposed to Ebola and was showing symptoms. But at the airport, he lied, and he got on the airplane, and he flew to Dallas, Texas. He came to the hospital, and there we misdiagnosed him. And so he went home and then came back. And when he came back, the nurses really had not received enough training and weren't prepared to be able to deal with Ebola. So they were exposed, and one nurse came down with Ebola. And then there was another nurse. She was going to be getting married soon, and so she flew to Philadelphia to go plan her wedding. And while she was there, she was self-monitoring and saw that she had a slight temperature. She called the CDC to say, should I fly or not? And they said, it's fine for you to fly. And so she flew back home to Texas and then came down with Ebola. And so that caused a real panic. The store where she shopped for her wedding dress was closed in order to decontaminate it. And then the plane that she flew on, well, it's been decontaminated four times now. There are schools um, in Belleville. It's, it's right, right beside Temple, Texas, the little suburb beside Temple, Texas. You remember my son, Paul, lives there. Our daughter-in-law, Krista, lives there. Paul is doing his surgical residency at Scott and White Hospital. Well, there in this little town right beside him, there were some children who had flown on the plane next to this lady and so they're now in quarantine, a self-imposed quarantine. But they shut down two schools, two elementary schools there, in order to go through and try to decontaminate those couple schools. And then, of course, if you saw the news yesterday, there was a plane where a man was flying and began to feel like he was having symptoms of Ebola. And so they made an emergency landing to, to have him tested and taken off the plane. People are changing their travel plans and whether they go out in public. And I, I'm listening to all of this going on. And, and I started thinking, you know, what, what is supposed to be our reaction to this? And I thought, well, first of all, just be prudent. Be smart. Now is not a good time to go on a safari to West Africa. <laughs> you know, think. Um, be prudent. Secondly, pray. Pray for those who are ill. Pray for those who are being the caregivers. Pray for your own health. Third, it's an important time to remember you and I do not control everything. There's so many things going on in the world that you and I do not control. And when we look at the things we don't control, we can either be paralyzed by fear or we can be inspired and spurred on to seize the day and to live well. Because we know we don't control everything. And feeling that you don't control can either paralyze you or spur you on to say now's the time to seize the day, to live well, to live with meaning. 
You know, I, I told you this summer, one of the books I read was by a man named Clayton Christensen. It was a great book. Clayton Christensen is an economics professor at Harvard. He teaches in the MBA program. And a specialty of his class is to be teaching about how to do measurement in business. What are all the metrics you need to look at? How do you measure? This decision produces this result. And that's what he'll teach for an entire semester. How do you measure these things in business? And he's always done this. He's taught this course for years. But he says, you know, when I come to the last class of the year, I always come in and say, today, we're not going to talk about how to measure things in business. I want to talk about something more important. How do you measure things in your life? How will you measure your life? So that was the title of the book that he wrote. How he believes it is so important you look at these theories about business and how you do metrics and you measure things and apply it to your life. And he said it's so important that 20-year-olds make that decision early on. How am I going to measure my life? And so he always shares it with these classes. But a couple years ago, Clayton Christensen turned 60 years old. And he got cancer. The same cancer that took his father's life. And he said it made me step back and to look at my life and think, how long do I have? How will I measure my life? You know, that's the whole purpose of this sermon series we've started. This sermon series we're calling Difference Makers. It's based on the belief that all of us want to live a life that matters. We all want to do things that make a difference. Whether you're staying at home as a stay-at-home mom or dad, whether you're teaching or whether you're preaching or a lawyer or a doctor or whatever you're doing, we all want to believe that what we do matters day in and day out. And I believe that Jesus tells us you are a difference maker. What you do does matter. And so it is when Jesus is trying to prepare His disciples to go out into the world to truly make a difference... We read in our scripture lesson, he calls them up on the mountain, he sits them down, and it says he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We said poor in spirit literally means blessed are those who are not arrogant, boastful, rude. Blessed are the humble in spirit. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek. We said that's those who submit to God's will and seek to live God's will in a disciplined way. And if you have poor spirit and you are meek, then you're ready to hear Jesus say, So blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. How do you and I make a difference? I want us to look at what Jesus had to say. Three things we need to see. First of all, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Basically, the question is, how bad do you want it? It's easy for me to say, I sure would like to play the piano like Robert. But if I want to play like Robert, I better start practicing eight hours a day, seven days a week, so that maybe by the time I'm 80 years old, I'm starting to get close, maybe. Do I hunger and thirst? Or do I just want to? Jesus was saying to the disciples, you want to go out in the world? You're going to start the church? You want to help bring in the kingdom of God? It's not enough to want to do that. It's not enough to hope to do that. Do you hunger and thirst? How bad do you want it? 
I told you a while back about Colm Wilkinson. What a great guy. Colm Wilkinson, you remember, was from Ireland. He was working in his father's business. He was uh, helping, uh, working in some factories, building roads. But he had an incredible voice. And it was back around 1980 when they came out with the new musical, Les Miserables. It was going to be West End in London. They held auditions. He went and auditioned, and he was chosen for the part of Jean Valjean. The first person to sing the part of Jean Valjean there in the theater district in London. What an incredible opportunity to define the character. He did that for several years. And then they made the leap to Broadway in New York, and he played Jean Valjean on Broadway. And again, did it for years. So what an incredible role that you're able to have to your name. This was your part. And then they came out with another musical called Phantom of the Opera, and he landed the part of the Phantom. The first one to do that. He got to be defining that role. You know, he talked about what that was like doing Phantom, how he would have to come in and it would take an hour and a half just to start trying to get the mask on each night as they would put the glue on his face and try to get this mask on him. And he tells about one time that the lady, the, the, the makeup artist had gotten the glue on him and then she stepped out. He was sitting there at the table and something dropped off the table and he reached over to pick it up and he bumped his face on the table. And of course you know what happens when you have contact glue. You're stuck to the table. And she came back in and said, are you resting? You want me to step out? No, no, I'm stuck to the table. I can't get out of here. She said, that night we worried we were not going to make the curtain call when it started. He played that part 1,700 times, over and over. He's now in his 60s. He continues to play these amazing parts, still has such a phenomenal voice. And I saw where he was being interviewed, and they said, what did you do to create such longevity? And he said, when I got the part of Jean Valjean, I quit drinking coffee and I gave up alcohol and I gave up smoking and I gave up dairy. I started drinking a lot of tea and honey, lemon. I, I stopped being around people who were sick. I tried to avoid that at all cost. He said, I don't go to any sporting events where I might be tempted to start hollering. I try to take care of my voice. He said, I, I make sure I go to sleep at a good time. I stop going out to parties and staying out late. He said, really, I guess if you look at my life, I've basically become a monk. And some people would look at my life and say, how boring. But I've got to tell you, I've done this so that I could do the thing that I love. Ah, to do the thing you love. Do you hunger and thirst how bad do you want it? Do you want to be a great mom? A great dad? Do you want to be a successful entrepreneur? Do you want to be a great teacher? Do you want to be a great lawyer, doctor? How bad do you want it? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Jesus said, if you're going to be my disciple, you're going to go out in this world and make a difference, you're going to start the church. It's not enough to want it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Secondly, after righteousness. 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. What is righteousness? When you and I think about being righteous, you know, we think about usually being perfect. I want to do all the right things. I want to say the right things. I want to think the right things. I want to do all the things God would want me to do. I I want to be perfect, to be righteous. And I think we all know people who've come to church and who start saying all the right things and trying to believe the right things and do the right things, and usually they do become very self-righteous. They usually become hard of heart and very judgmental and very critical of everybody else because they think everybody else ought to be somehow perfect. You know, the church was very concerned about us being righteous and getting things right back during the dark ages. In 1100 to 1300, the church was struggling, and so the church was really concerned, what do you believe? Do you believe the right things? And how could they find out if you believe the right things? They begin to inquire of you, and they called it the Inquisition. We'll inquire of you. Do you believe the right things? Do the right things? And what they found was many people, they didn't think were believing the right things. And so they put them on the rack. They began to put them in prison. They would torture them. We burned them at the stake. We drowned them. Thousands died for a several hundred year period while we were in the Inquisition. The fascinating thing is the same period in history, though, when the church was struggling, that monasticism began to spring up. People like St. Francis. People who came along and weren't so concerned about all the perfect theology, but really had such a sincere love for the people. And what we see in this period in history is monasticism, more and more people becoming monks and nuns, going into abbeys, going into monasteries, and really just reaching out to care for all of the different poor and the world. Right now, Wendy Lambert and I are teaching on Wednesday Night Alive the history of Christianity. We've been looking at Martin Luther, been kind of moving on along. And I've been reading a lot of Will Durant. Many of you know about Will Durant, such a man. who He wrote The History of Civilization, 11 volumes. It literally is about this thick. And such a brilliant guy. And I was back preparing for one of these classes, reading about uh, this period in history, and, and I came across a statement that Will Durant made that I thought was interesting. He said, It may be that the church was saved not by the tortures of the Inquisition, but by the rise of new monastic orders that gave a cleansing example of sincerity. Those who brought a clear example of sincerity, caring, about people. Righteousness? I believe righteousness is when you and I have a right relationship with God and a right relationship with one another. It's not about thinking and doing all the right things to be perfect. That's not righteousness. Righteousness is truly about setting aside all things in order to make sure God's justice, God's way is for all people to be blessed. You know, right now there's so many negative things coming out of the NFL, the stories about all the domestic abuse. And personally, I'm glad that, that we're addressing domestic abuse. It is wrong, and we need to be there to help those who find themselves in that position. But knowing all that's been coming out, it's, it was nice to see a good story come out of the NFL. I'm not sure if some of you know of Devin Still. Devin Still plays for the Cincinnati Bengals. He's a defensive lineman, not someone who gets a lot of publicity. Earlier in this year when they were at training camp, 
the Bengals had basically decided to cut Devin from the team. But it was at the same time that his daughter Leah, who was four years old, um, was going to be having a dance recital. And so he was able to have a day off and flew home to Delaware to see her dance recital. And before they could go, she started hurting really in her hip and side. They rushed her to the emergency room. They did an x-ray, which led to a CAT scan, to an MRI. It took hours, and they knew something wasn't good. They finally came out and said, we found a mass the size of a softball there on her hip. It turned out she had neuroblastoma. It was cancer, stage four. The doctors would ultimately say we give her a 50-50 chance. You can only imagine how he was devastated. Father, you're off in Cincinnati playing football. You're trying to get home to be with your daughter. They now say she probably will die. He decided maybe I need to just drop out of football and not try to get on anywhere. I'll just come and be home. It was the Cincinnati Bengals who called him in and said, no. Tell you what we're going to do. We're going to sign you to the practice squad. Because if we sign you to the practice squad rather than cut you, then you will get a salary. But more important, you'll have health insurance through the NFL. And you're going to need health insurance with all this going on. Now, we're going to sign you to the practice squad. But let us tell you right now, we don't expect you even to come. You don't have to come to practice. You don't have to come to the games. You take whatever time you want to have with your daughter. And if you're ready to be here and practice, great. But you do what you need to do for your family. And so Devin was there with Leah. She started taking chemotherapy to try to shrink the tumor before surgery. She went into the hospital there at the Philadelphia Children's Hospital. That's actually where he had been from and played in college at Penn State. And so it was that they were there at this hospital and you may have heard the story about um, Kathy Lee and Hoda on today. It was Hoda who had had cancer seven years ago. She decided recently she wanted to raise money for pediatric cancer research. She happened to be at the Philadelphia Children's Hospital and there tried to round up a few kids who might want to be in this video called Truly Brave. If you've not seen it, go home, Google it, YouTube. You can watch Truly Brave, pediatric cancer research. Great video of these kids singing. And they cut this video and having fun. And only then after it was all done did they discover one of the children was Leah, Devin Still's daughter. And she was so bright and so happy. Well, it touched him so much and it kind of gave her, every time she came on TV, she'd say, look, Daddy, I'm a movie star. And kind of get up her spirit. Finally, she had the surgery and then starting chemo again. You know, life is sometimes strange. Here he's on the practice team, was going to be cut, and then they have injuries there for the defensive line, and now they call him up from the practice team to actually play on the team. He didn't play the first game, but now he's playing the second game, then the third game. They go play the New England Patriots there in New England. And when they go to the New England Patriots game, there's a point in the game when suddenly the New England Patriot cheerleaders put on a Cincinnati Bengal Jersey with number 75, Devin's number. And they start doing cheers. And the cameras go on them and they show up on the jumbotron. The other team's cheerleaders wearing your jersey and your number cheering. And they show Devin on the sidelines as he begins to weep. This past week, um, he was being interviewed on another show. 
And he was there in Cincinnati, and they were asking him, how's Leah doing? And he said, you know, she had her third round of chemo now after the surgery, and it's really knocked her down. But she's a fighter. She still has her spirits up. She still manages to be positive. I tell you, it's because of all the attention that you have paid to her. It's because of all the prayers you have offered for her. It has encouraged her. It has encouraged so many children at that hospital. It has done so much to encourage me. I can't thank you enough. And I thought, righteousness? To be righteous is to say, I don't care who wins the game or who's number one or has the most or is the best. What does it mean to say we're going to care for each other to be righteous? I got to thinking, you know, we're, we're a large church. Here we have multiple campuses and we're on TV. What would it be if all of us who are part of this worship service would make a commitment next week that we would be righteous? Not perfect, not have all the right thoughts. You're going to be righteous that you would find somebody in the next week where you are committed to doing the right thing. Maybe it's a listening ear, an encouraging word. Maybe it's you using your influence to provide an opportunity for them they'd never get. Maybe it's you using your money to give them resources they would never have. What if all of us here were to make a commitment that next week we're going to find somebody and we intend to be righteous. What a difference it would make in our homes, our work, our community. Do you hunger and thirst to live a life that matters? Third, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be satisfied. To be satisfied, what does it mean to be satisfied? You know, there's a lot of things you and I need to be satisfied. I need a roof over my head and food to eat and clothes on my back. Nothing wrong with those things. I need them. In fact, Jesus addressed that issue. Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow nor reap nor gather in your barn. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Look at the lilies of the field. They don't toil nor spin. Yet look at how gorgeous they are. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness... And all these things shall be yours as well. Jesus never talked poorly of material things. He just tried to say, those are not the things that satisfy the deepest hunger in your soul. You need those things. But if you want to satisfy the deepest hunger in your soul, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That is, live your life in a way where it's more than just about me. Be that blessing in the world. Let God use you. It does something for your soul. It satisfies who you are. You know, when St. Luke started back in 1889, this is our 125th birthday, 125 years ago in April, we started, and we started at 3rd and Broadway. You know, when they started Oklahoma City, of course, we started plotting things out, and people built some buildings, but the streets were dirt, and when it rained, they became mud. And so it wasn't long until we were building boardwalks to try to get in two places and stay out of the mud. Since the church was one of the first buildings built in Oklahoma City, there at 3rd and Broadway, we built a boardwalk. And when they decided where to build the first school, 
they decided to build the first school in Oklahoma City next door to St. Luke's Methodist Church because we had a boardwalk. And since we had a building, they decided to use St. Luke's as the place to train teachers and certify them to teach in the school. For 125 years, we have been passionate about education, helping children raise up and have a new vision in life. That's why just this year, our Believer's Sunday School class has helped the entire church now get involved in a mission of working with Rancho Village Elementary School. It's an elementary school right by our satellite, St. Luke's Asbury. And we want to reach out to this elementary school, and we now have provided supplies for all the teachers so they can focus on teaching and not worrying about supplies. We put in new audio-visual AV equipment and had it all installed for teaching. We've tried to help them have opportunities for continuing education, inspiration. We have men who go down to mentor boys to read with them. We had a reading program this summer. They read with them. They encourage them. They help them do homework. We're trying to make a difference in the school. People have a hard time there. There's a family. The mom had to have surgery. The father had to have surgery. There's no money coming in if no one works. There's no medical insurance. As soon as the father got through surgery, the doctor said, you need to recuperate. He went back to work. I got to take care of the family. Needless to say, the stress was high. Their daughter went to school and there were children who were calling her names and, and she reacted in maybe an inappropriate way and now she's not going to be going to school for a while. But the school didn't abandon her. They said, how do we get the curriculum you need? How do we get you the support you need? And they said to the family, would you like someone from our new partners at St. Luke's Methodist Church to come? And they said, yes. There's nothing worse than feeling alone. And so we have someone who goes down each week to be with the family, to counsel, to encourage, to give advice, to try to make sure we're helping with all the needs they face to help this child get back into school, to do well, for them to have hope. That's this year. Two years ago, we decided to start an after-school program called El Sistema. You remember we went out and invited a hundred kids from a number of different elementary schools to come and gave every child a brand new instrument. A new instrument, whether it's a French horn or a trumpet or a bass or a cello, and begin teaching them how to be a part of an orchestra. And what we found was they started doing better in school. It raised their grades. It began to change the discipline. And so this year we added a second 100. Now we got 200 kids who come every day to be a part of learning how to play in this orchestra. Well, it turned out that there was a, a girl. Last year she was in sixth grade. Now she's in seventh. And I was talking to the director who said, you know, Bob, when she came, boy, she never smiled. Her arms were always crossed. I mean, she was tough. She was intimidating. But we asked her what instrument she wanted to play, and she fell in love with the bass. She started playing the bass, and as all of last year went along, what we found was she began to soften. A smile started showing up on her face. Something changed inside of her. And she began to love music and was so friendly. This year she was able to audition for an honor orchestra beyond El Sistema, competing with kids from across the state, and she got it. She still plays in El Sistema, and now she mentors the younger kids coming along. Her brother and sister decided to get in this and start coming. And our director was telling me, he said, you know, 
I was visiting with her not long ago. And she's good. She's now in the seventh grade. And I said, you're good. You know, you could go to college. Who knows? Maybe, maybe one day you want to be a music teacher. And who knows? Maybe one day you want to come back and teach in El Sistema. And she said, this little girl's eyes were so big. And she stood there. And finally she said, do you really mean that? Do you really think that's true? Yes, I do. Do you have a vision? It was 10 years ago we started our first after-school program, Studio 222. Going over to a, a Taft Middle School, getting 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, bringing them here to our campus. We have our own building for Studio 222. They learn all kinds of arts, but they're learning so much more about life. We've had hundreds of kids who've come through the program now. We take them 6th, 7th, and 8th, but we stay with them 9, 10, 11, 12. Our goal is to get them through high school and to get those who can to go on to college. If you were at the, uh, the gala we had earlier this year where we were raising money for this, we had several of these students who've kind of come through the program for years, and they were there to speak. And there was one young lady who stood up to talk about her experience. She's moved all the way through the program now. And she was talking about when she came to studio so many years ago, she said, you know, I know I'm a, a problem child. I, I knew that I was going to cause problems, get into trouble. She said, when I got on the bus, I'd refuse to buckle my seatbelt or I'd holler at people outside of the bus as we drove home. She said, I, I know all the things that I did. And I want to read you what she had to say that night. I'll admit, I'm not proud of my actions. But trust me, I've learned from everything. Studio has taught me to be more respectful, don't be quick to judge, and be responsible for my own actions. When I lost my mom my eighth grade year, I started to look at the leaders of Studio as people who cared for me as much as my own mother did. Words can't express how grateful I am to have them. When I was asked what Studio 222 means to me, I didn't have an immediate answer. My answer didn't hit me until I was laying down one day watching Lilo and Stitch. It was the scene when Lilo was talking to Stitch about family, and she said, Ohana means family, and family means that nobody gets left behind. That's when I realized studio is my Ohana, my family. Family isn't always blood. It's the people in your life who want you in theirs the ones who accept you for who you are, the ones who would do anything to see you smile, and the ones who would love you no matter what. She is now a student at the University of Central Oklahoma. And I thought, what is satisfaction? What satisfies your soul? It's to know that you make a difference that you've blessed life and the world is different. It is what we do as a family of faith together. We are the ones who make all this happen. You give your time, your talent, your money. We're changing the world. 
You and I can either be paralyzed by fear or spurred to seize this moment, to seize the day, to live in a way that makes a difference. Jesus said all of us can be difference makers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for it will satisfy their soul. It's in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.